I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello there, and welcome to the Best News Podcast from LiveWire, brought to you by Alaska Airlines. This is the show where we talk about what's good in the news. I'm Luke Burbank. Right over there is my friend, Elena Passarello. Elena, welcome to week 14. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? I've got, you know, best news and less best news. You got an owie. I could see. I did. I took a tumble (gasps) over the weekend after uh, waking up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, I was trying to not turn the lights on because I didn't want to wake up more. You wanted to stay in the ether of I sleep. I wanted to stay mostly asleep, <laughs> but it turns out uh, that was a bad plan because I, I, I tripped and then I bonked my head. Mm. <laughs> and I have this, uh, well, I'm choosing to believe it's going to end up making me kind of cool. Like it's, it's w- the same place where Harry Potter has a scar, so... That is cool. I feel I mean, like if I'm gonna have a, a permanent scar, that's an oak. It's like kind of right in the middle of my forehead. Oh, is it gonna be lightning bolt shaped? TCB. We will have to see uh, how it all comes out once it's once it's fully healed. I I will tell you that I, I'm. This is not an exaggeration. I spent ninety nine dollars and sixteen cents on various band aid <laughs> products and also <laughs> uh, like uh, you know uh, Neosporin and the like. Oh yeah, because I knew. That if I just bought enough different kinds of Band-Aids, one of them would be a little bit more my skin tone. (laughs) So this is the one that seems to... I've only gone through like half of the Band-Aids, though. This is the one that so far kind of matches the most. What do you think? I mean, you're looking at me on Zoom as we're talking. So I think it's barely recognizable. And and I think it also shows the differences in our personalities because you (laughs) went above and beyond to look as professional as possible and I would have been like, where's the SpongeBob Band-Aids? Like, I would have tried to find the thing that stuck out the most, even on the face. And actually, you know what? I, I'm also lazy, and David and I, we do stocking stuffers every year. Uh-huh. And one famous year, we each gave each other, without the other person knowing, Abraham Lincoln-shaped Band-Aids. That's when you know you've found your <laughs> twin right. flame. It's like the gift <laughs> of the Magi. But That's um right. But now we have like 600 Abe Lincoln Band-Aids. So I would just have Abe Lincoln on my forehead until that sucker healed. <laughs> You're so right, though. That is, that's like, I think, a perfect encapsulation of the differences 
in our personalities mm-hmm. is just that I'm like, how do I low key this thing as much as possible? And you'd be like, how do I high key this thing as yeah, much as possible? Yeah, how do I draw the Ghostbuster sign around it and frame <laughs> it in neon to get all of the attention? <laughs> well, uh, because this is a podcast, of course, the listeners uh, cannot see uh, what I look like, but um, I'm I'm actually okay with that because of my my low key ways when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, we have gotten more emails. <gasps> uh, yes, people Yay! are just. People can't send us enough emails over to bestnews at livewireradio.org. These are the only emails that I enjoy receiving. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when someone says you got more emails, I'm like, but these ones are all they're all fun and so far they've all been pretty encouraging, which is Yay. also really nice, particularly on this week where I'm dealing with a face wound. Mm. Uh, Daniela checked in from Hong Kong and <gasps> said that uh, she's really loving listening to the show. It uh, kind of reminds her. Of, uh, of a familiar sound because she's been listening to Livewire since when she lived in Ithaca three years ah. ago, and she's going to continue listening to the Best News Podcast and Livewire when she heads back to her home country of Mexico. So, Daniela, yeah. thank you for reaching out. Also, Steve said, the best news of the week was learning of the existence of a picture of Luke on a unicycle. Um, <laughs> please post that pic. So I will find that somewhere. I've got it, some digital file. And um, and I'll send it to the producers, and maybe we can put it out there. It will now that I've got this whole Harry Potter situation. Me on the unicycle will be the second most embarrassing photo of me <laughs> circulating on the. Oh, by the way, Steve also said, "P.S. to the powers that be, please keep Luke as the host." Oh, you got two votes now. Great. Yeah, this is a um, this is how you do it. It's a grassroots just, campaign. <laughs> yeah, you create a grassroots campaign around a thing that wasn't happening anyway, just so you can feel good every week that people. Want you to keep having the job that you were in no danger of losing. They're fighting for you, man. They're fighting yeah, for they you. Yeah, they are. And I love it. <laughs> hey, what's the best news that you saw out there in the world this week, Elena? My best news actually is blast from the past best news. Something happened in the news this past week that allowed me to catch up with an old friend. There was an article uh, about a very famous flamingo named 492, uh, who every once in a while makes the news again and again and again, because a long, long time ago, like 17 years ago, he was just a little baby flamingo in a zoo in Wichita, Kansas, and they didn't clip his wings fast enough. uh, So he just flew the coop. He just flew out of the zoo and um, miraculously survived. So part of what's keeping flamingos in the zoos and animal parks and places like uh, that we maybe have seen them is because their wings are clipped. I think that's right. I think they're they're pretty they're pretty easy to keep in zoos because if they have all their needs met and somebody to hang out with, they're usually cool with it. They only fly around when they're like in search of like habitats resources. or climate change and resources, right? And 492 since 2005 2006 has gotten around a lot. He flew in his first winter all the way down to the Gulf Coast around the Texas Louisiana area and he uh, is not supposed to be down there and bird watchers down there never see flamingos. It's a huge bird watching mecca because it's a great midpoint and and nearly every season has great bird sightings but not flamingos. Uh-huh. And so uh, he, people hadn't seen him for a while, but he was spotted again in March. He's like 20 years old now. How did they know it was him? It's just because if there's a flamingo in the wild 
anywhere in like the southeast we can assume it's this dude? This is incredibly rare. Um, he also has a very definitive tag that says 492. I thought you were going to say tat. He has a definitive tag. It's a lightning bolt on his forehead like Harry yeah. Potter. He wants uh, all to be the like cool you. kids are getting them. <laughs> it's a John Prine. But, um, <laughs> but he used to be very identifiable, and this is how I know him. For uh, about 10 years ago, he was always spotted with a flamingo buddy. And this is an amazing story. This is, okay. the, this is the thing that I know because I wrote about it when I wrote my animal book. Yes, because, Animal Strike Curious Poses. Yes. A great read that I would recommend to everyone, not just because we're colleagues. This one got cut. Thank you. This one got cut from the book and it's actually, I put it out on the Paris Review website so you can see it there. Mm. And I highly recommend going there because the photos are amazing. Because about 10 years ago, when 492 was getting around down there, he had a flamingo best friend who is a completely different species of flamingo who had escaped from a wild animal park uh, south of the border or a wild animal reserve south of the border, a gorgeous, it's called the American flamingo, although it's not endemic to North America at all, a gorgeous hot pink flamingo that it also escaped and also had a tag on its leg. So folks would go down to Texas and Florida just to see two completely out of place flamingos and they were so in sync and so together all the time. They would fly together. They would feed together. They would take off at the same time. And it looked like this beautiful hot pink uh, flamingo with a lighter pink shadow. And they just like, I just see them as like Thelma and Louise as flamingos. They're just on the run. They're not supposed to be there. They're together. But unfortunately, you know, it's hard out there for a flamingo. So sure. About five or six years ago, we stopped seeing HDNT, which was 492's best friend. And I think that was around the time that 492 got his new name. Now he's known as Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> so Pink Floyd is alive and well and rocketed in Texas, listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. eating brisket, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, it's always good to see him in the spring. Oh my gosh. That is like, it's amazing to me that animals like that are able to just figure it out. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, it's a... It, it it can be a lot to try to completely change how you get your food, your shelter, your all the things that, that we and other animals need to stay alive. If you're mm -hmm. used to captivity, it's one kind of thing, and all of a sudden you're out there in the big bad world. I'm amazed that Pink Floyd has been pulling this off for all these years. Yeah, I wish he was here. <laughs> I see what you just did there. <laughs> I only know three Pink Floyd songs. <laughs> um, it's, she's just another flamingo in the wall. I, I, yeah, sure. that one didn't work at all. Okay, I guess maybe not your deepest dive of musical knowledge, the Pink no. Floyd catalog. No. It's sort of the dark side of the moon for me. Oh, okay, good. Well, you got to the rule of threes hey. for comedy there, which I appreciate. <laughs> I saw this story that has been making the rounds on the internet from the Washington Post. It was written by a reporter named Jessica Contrera, and it is really remarkable. Uh, it's about a guy who lives in the greater Washington, D.C. area named Vaughn Smith. He's 46 years old. Mm. And his profession is he cleans folks' carpets. Mm -hmm. But his kind of what's notable about him is that he is able to speak by some counts 24 languages, by some counts over 40. What? Depending on, you know, how you exactly describe Fluency. Speaking a language. Yeah. But I mean, he is very, very fluent, like can have conversations without his brain having to do any extra work in like over 25 languages and has an even larger list, like maybe up into the 50s of languages that he can get around in or can wow. understand words. And it's a whole range of different things. It's, you know, kind of the ones that you might expect. Japanese. Uh, he also <laughs> speaks 
Well, I mean, you know, because <laughs> think about it, 25 languages, you start to go through most of the like major countries you can think of. Yeah. All these languages, even if maybe not every one of them he can converse in super fluidly, he still can read them, he can understand what's being said to him. I mean, his brain is just incredible at language, and I guess it's called being a hyper-polyglot. So not just a polyglot, a hyper-polyglot. Yes. Wow. Yeah, hyper-polyglot just meaning like hyper amount of different yeah, languages being speed. spoken. <laughs> they had this contest at some point in Europe to try to find their most multilingual speaker. This is back in the 1990s. And they found uh, this guy named Derek Herning, who is a Scottish organist, and he showed meaningful proficiency in 22 languages. Um, and he even learned more languages before he passed away back in 2019. So they thought this is like the biggest hyper polyglot in Europe. And then this other guy who doesn't get mentioned in the article, like by name, apparently said he could speak 59 languages. And the Guinness Book of World Records put him in oh, your favorite. as the most, <laughs> the most hyper, hyper polyglot. And then he lost his spot after he made a TV appearance in which he failed to answer questions in a number of the languages that he <laughs> said he could speak. And to this day, no one can decide if this guy was just like a very good fraud or if he just got nervous under the pressure and like Aww. forgot his language skills in some of these various languages. I don't know which is like a worse thing. I could see myself somehow on TV claiming I could speak 59 languages when really I could only speak like three or four. <laughs> like... I could see that lie getting away from me. Just you in speak my own BS. That's the number one language. That's right, that you exactly. Speak. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to this Von Smith guy. His story is so interesting because he's someone, as the article just describes really interestingly, never quite felt like he fit in. His mother had come to the U.S. from Mexico. His father was from the States, but he said he, he looked a little different than some of the kids he went to school with. Uh, he didn't always get jokes. He, he Towards the end of the piece, they pose the the question as to if he is potentially on the autism spectrum, mm. but he just couldn't quite find his way of connecting with folks when he was young until this language thing clicked. And he uh, met this woman, and I believe she said something in Russian, and he this is when he's like a kid, he said, oh, I've, uh, I've been kind of studying Russian, and he said a few lines to her, and she brightened up. Um, and he said it was like a little like a little splash of sunshine in her day. And so he just started going towards foreign languages all the time. So the way that he's learned a lot of these different languages, like he learned American Sign Language from mm -hmm. hanging out with some Gallaudet students in D.C., which is mm -hmm. Gallaudet is this amazing school for the deaf and, and hard of hearing. They used to go hang out at this nightclub that was for the Gallaudet kids in D.C. where they played the music through the floor. Mm -hmm. So that the floor would bounce mm -hmm. so that, you know, even if you weren't able to hear it, you could feel the vibration. Uh, he picked up Japanese from the staff at a restaurant where he was volunteering to clean the fish tank once a week. <laughs> he learned how to speak like Salish because he was out visiting the Pacific Northwest oh. and he was just doing some stuff with some kids that were Native American and he heard them speaking some Salish. Now he's like on a relatively short list of people who can even speak Salish because it's one of those languages yeah. that's disappearing. The idea that this is the way that this guy has been able to navigate his world is, is just so fascinating to me. So eventually the writer of this piece in the Washington Post, she and this guy, Von Smith, they go to have their brains scanned while they're looking at language. And um, this, this writer, she, I think, only speaks English maybe. And she was expecting that when they had Von, uh, this hyperpolyglot, going through different language exercises, that all parts of his brain would be lighting up, that it would just be like a fireworks show. But it turned out that only little small bits of his brain turn on with language because his brain is so efficient. 
at huh. language now. He doesn't need all of his brain. What? So the reporter, her brain was just like all lit up all the time to try to think of words and things. And this guy is just like in the zone. It's like he just- Like an athlete's heart rate, right? Exactly. Like, because it's so super efficient. And I mean, <laughs> uh, again- Whatever anyone's doing for their job that feels rewarding to them is obviously something to be uh, appreciated. But you get the sense throughout the article that for him, cleaning carpets didn't really feel fully satisfying to him. But he also kind of just, even to the point of this article being written about him, couldn't quite figure out his place in the world. And after they go to MIT, this guy in the article, he's so excited and, and proud of himself that he can do this with his brain and that all these people at MIT were interested mm -hmm. in him and mm -hmm. the way he was able to speak to the various um, researchers there who a lot of them spoke different languages. At the end of the piece, he basically has decided that he is going to totally change his life and pursue something that brings more of that sort of stuff into his life. Like he starts wow. the article cleaning carpets with a certain amount of personal dissatisfaction and he ends the article energized as a human being. That's great. Who is ready to go on a whole new journey in their life. So it's a very cool story. I love that his love of language came from empathy, like wanting to reach out and connect. Like that's that's such a beautiful way of thinking about what language can do versus, you know, like isolating people from each other. He's using it as, as yes. his major connecting point. Totally. He talks about how uh, when you are able to speak someone else's language, it shows them that they matter to you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and that's why he feels like it's really helped him sort of connect with all these other people. Is like, and that idea, like you said, of empathy, just like of mm -hmm. us all trying to show other people that they matter to us in whatever way we're able to do that. That's why I'm trying to get my cats to speak English. I'm like, don't you love me? <laughs> Talk to me. Use your words. Speak human. I promise you they love you as long as you're still feeding them. Yes, every, every day. day. Every day. <laughs> all right. Human empathy. That's the best news that I heard this week. All right, coming up on the radio program this week, which comes out on Friday, this is exciting. We are going to talk to Molly Shannon, mm. Mary Catherine Gallagher herself from SNL, also Sally O'Malley. I feel like those are, you're mm -hmm. either a Mary Catherine Gallagher, you know, superstar fan, or you're a Sally O'Malley. I'm 50. Are you a, you're Sally I'm a O'Malley? Sally O'Malley. And it's the only good thing about turning 50 is that I'll get to say that all the time and it'll be true. <laughs> I'm not 50 yet, but you know, when it happens. It's, you've got that as a silver lining on yeah. the whole, you know, aging <laughs> yeah. process. Um, Molly, of course, has been not just on Saturday Night Live, uh, but also in so many different really great TV programs, films, things like that. And now she's got a new memoir out, which really talks about her childhood and her life and kind of what uh, drove her in the direction of performing and comedy. And uh, she had a, a pretty traumatic early childhood. The uh, book is called Hello, Molly. And we are going to talk about that with Molly Shannon. We're also going to dial up Johannesburg, South Africa, and talk to the musical artist Tuello, mm. whose parents were instrumental in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Tuello was, um, uh, I think, an early teenager when that policy was finally overthrown in South Africa. And she's also got this really interesting story of how a public library in Connecticut was where she really began to learn about a lot of the music that had not made its way to where she was living in South Africa as a young child. So, and she's gonna perform a really cool song for us. We, we were able to make a connection with her and her band in a sound studio in Johannesburg that used to be a prison wow. or a jail. So wow. anyway, that's coming out on Friday. Make sure to check that out if you can. 
All right, thanks to our team who makes this show possible. Of course, Laura Haddon is our fearless executive producer. Our producer and editor is Melanie Keep It Tight Sevchenko. And our assistant <laughs> editor is Trey Hester. Special thanks to our intern, Jonas Myers, who's now identifying himself in emails as the world's most famous intern, which I feel like maybe we, we may have created a monster. Uh, Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. Our theme music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Thank you to all of you for listening and emailing. Again, our email is bestnews at livewireradio.org. Uh, we will see you real soon. Until then, please head on out there and have the absolute best week. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.